Today is the December 5th, 2021 meeting of Hope Bible Church. Steve Hogan's message is The Character of God. If you would like to support our sermon audio ministry, please click the Give button on the sermon audio homepage. Thank you. Good morning. Today's reading is in the Gospel of Luke, the first verse, beginning, no, excuse me, the Gospel of Luke, the first chapter, beginning in verse 46. Feel free to read along in a Bible that you have, or uh, one sitting in our pew, or uh, just be blessed by listening. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who are humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Father God, thank you for your amazing plan to save humanity by coming to this world through a baby born of an unknown peasant girl in a little town in a small country who would one day grow up to die for the sins of every single person who has repented and turned their hope toward you. Thank you for Mary's example that regular folks like us can serve God in his glorious purposes if we devote ourselves to him. Along with Mary, I praise you for the coming day when the proud and the rulers will be humbled and the lowly will be exalted. Thank you for forgiving us. The, uh, thank you for giving us the opportunity uh, to worship you in music and in the reading of the word and the preaching of the same. Thank you for our pastor uh, who loves you and loves your word and loves us. Uh, help us to, uh, to help him to preach what, he is, what you have put in his heart and help us to, uh, to listen and take to heart what he has to preach. In your name we pray, amen. Good morning. Good to see you all here in this Lord's Day, this season of Advent. What Jeff read there from Luke chapter 1 uh, is called Mary's Song, and just that's what it's called. And there's other songs talked about in the Bible. You've got Hannah's song in 1 Samuel. You have Moses' song in, uh, in uh, Exodus 15. And, of course, you have David's songs. He wrote the book, half of the book of Psalms. But what you see in these songs is the character of God displayed. 
And you see with Mary, a young believer, that she really knew the Lord, which is really amazing, just probably 14, 15 years of age, maybe younger. But she really understood the character of God, which I think related to one of the reasons why God chose her to be um, the mother of his, his son. But today we're going to talk about God's character, which is one of the most important subjects that there is. And as people, oftentimes we can create God in our own image. We can come up with our own ideas of what God is like, and we shouldn't do that. It's very, very important, critically important for your life. In fact, your whole life relates to how you see and view who God really is. It's important then that we have a correct understanding of who God is, and, and, and so that's what we're going to talk about today is talking about God and his character. A few quotes here. A.W. Tozer said this, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. Jeremiah said this, Jeremiah 9, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. Hosea said this, let us press on to know the Lord. And Jesus said this, eternal life is this, that you may know, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ. And so you need to have a proper understanding of who God is. And it'll keep you then from having a shallow relationship with him. And in 1 John 2, we read about, and I'm going to look at this a little bit later during the communion time, but it talks about some things relative to, to different types of people. But it says this here. It says, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. And a father there in that context referring to a mature Christian. A mature Christian, the number one quality about him is that he knows God. And he knows God in a deep way, in, in a rich way, in a real way, not in some shallow or incorrect way. But knowing God then will keep you from sin, It'll keep you from having doubts. It'll keep you from being unfruitful. It'll keep you from, from error. It's, it's, it's so, so important. One of your main goals in life then, and this is so important, one of your main goals in life should be to experientially know God. I say experience, not just in your mind, but in your mind and as well as in your heart and your entire life. And when you know God, you'll trust him. Psalm 910 says simply, those who know thy name, name is a word that means the character of God. Those who know the character of God will put their trust in thee. And if you know God, then you'll be one who is, is, is fruitful. You'll be one who is trusting him. You'll be one who is satisfied. You'll really be one then who is a truly loved believer. You'll be a victorious Christian. You'll be a mature Christian. You'll be a holy Christian. So many things in your life relate to this, this important foundational truth then, knowing God. Now, Romans 1 says that creation helps you to see a little bit of who God is. We read that there in Romans 1, 19, 20, 21, those verses right there. But to really have an accurate picture of who God is, we need to go to his word. We need to see what God's word says. So what we're going to do today is look at God's word and see what God says about himself. That's what our purpose is going to be, and just a number of different qualities of, of God here. First, God is supreme. Psalm 57.1 says, I cry out to God most high. God is most high. Psalm 86.8, there is no one like you among the gods, O Lord. And so God is the most high God. You can't compare him with anyone else. There is no one else like him. He is unique. He is in a class by himself. 
God is infinitely greater than all the other beings in the world. He's greater, much greater than any spirit beings, whether that be angels or demons, greater than any people, greater than any rulers. He is greater than all of creation and every aspect of creation. And God's supremacy is seen in his character and that he is infinitely powerful, infinitely holy, infinitely wise, infinitely loving, far beyond any, any other being. Isaiah 40, if I turn there, there's, there's many verses. There's so many verses I could read. Um, I just don't have time. I mean, really, I should probably take, I could take a, a week for every one of these character qualities here, but I'm just going to give a summary today. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 15 to 18, you can read with me or, or, or just listen. For verse 15 says, Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. Behold, he lifts up the islands like fine dust. Even Lebanon is not enough to burn, nor its beast enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him, a phrase then that describes his supremacy. They're regarded by him as less than nothing and meaningless. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare with him? So God then is one who is supreme. And because God is the supreme one, then he is the one that we should worship. He is the one that we should always worship. Second, God is eternal. Psalm 92 says this, From everlasting to everlasting you are God. Jeremiah 10.10 says, The Lord is the true God, the living God, the everlasting God. God had no beginning. He's existed since eternity past. God has no end. He will live forever and ever and ever And the fact of the matter is this, is that God lives outside of time. We cannot comprehend that. We live in time. We always think about time, today, tomorrow, yesterday, last year. God lives outside of time. He sees the end from the beginning because he is eternal. That's who God is. And the point is this, is that our finite little minds cannot grasp. As much as we can talk about it and look at verses, we really can't truly grasp the eternal nature of God. We just can't. I mean, you think about it. I mean, you think about if, if from here to that door is the length of your life, if we use this analogy, and then from here to the farthest star is all eternity. He says, wow, my 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years is just from here to that door? I mean, we just cannot comprehend this eternality of, of God. And because God is eternal, then his word is eternal, his purposes are eternal, His character is eternal, and he is the eternal king, and he rules forever and ever. He rules now. He rules now, even though he's delegated some of that rule to Satan during this, what's called this this present evil age, Galatians 1.4. But what's really amazing is that God has made us eternal souls. This is important to understand. We are eternal souls, and we then will live forever. It's just where we're going to live forever. That's the question. Are we going to be with God or not be with God? And this is important in life because, you know, you know, you know, there's crime out there and people kill people and things. Don't they realize what they're doing? A person made in the image of God who has an eternal soul? They're not really killing. They're killing the body. They're not killing the soul. The soul goes on. And if we've been saved by Christ, by his grace, then they will have eternal bodies. I mean, this is a wonderful truth. So much energy and time is focused. And in some ways, it's good on health and doctors and medicines, et cetera, et cetera. But I think it's done a little too much. We're going to have eternal bodies, okay? That's, that's, that's exciting. That encouraged me. So therefore, we will be ones who live with God and worship him forever and ever and ever. Next, God is holy. The song we just sang, 
comes from Isaiah 6. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Psalm 11, verse 9 says, Holy and awesome is his name. Indeed, holiness is one of God's most important and all-encompassing character qualities. God's entire nature, being, and character is that which is holy. And what is holy? It means, number one, that he's set apart and that he's different from every other being. He's set apart, completely unique. As I said before, he's supreme. He's also holy in that he's completely pure. He's undefiled, and he is without fault. This is who he is. We have this two aspects of his holiness. I've said before in the past, it's like a garden. If you have a garden, that garden is set apart from the other part of the yard. It's not the whole yard. It's just part of the yard. And oftentimes you have a fence around that garden, right? And the second thing about a garden is if you have a good garden, it's going to be hopefully weed-free. Take the weeds out. It's clean from weeds. It's clean from, from, from defilement of any sorts. And so here is, here is God then. And he is one who is holy. It says that God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. That's 1 John 1, 5. And God's holiness is seen in Christ, his son. He is called in the word of God. He's called the holy one. It's seen in his word. You might have heard that the Bible sometimes is called the holy word of God. That's, that's a good way to say it. But one more thing, all those people who are believers in Christ, those, those of us here who are believers in Christ, we are called the holy ones. It doesn't say that exactly in the Bible. What the word does say is, is saint. But the word saint, literally translated from agios, means holy one. And so God says one of the names of a believer is a holy one. We are holy ones because God, by his Son, Jesus Christ, then makes us holy. And, for, and First Peter 1 says, you shall be holy. This is important. God is holy. We're his children. And so he wants us to be holy. And finally, on this point here, we get to heaven, it'll be completely holy. We live in an earth now, a world that's not so holy, okay? Hopefully, as, as people, as children of God, we're doing, by God's grace, the best we can to be holy. But as you know, it doesn't take you long to find out this world is not really a holy place in general. It's not that way. And that's why we as a church, we want to be, and this is what God wants the church to be, a holy church, to be an example to the world. Next, God is just. Psalm 11, verse 5 to 7, the Lord is in his holy temple. He is righteous. He loves justice. Upright men will see his face. God's justice then flows from his holiness, and because God is holy, then he must do what is just. He must judge, and he must punish sin. And what we understand is three aspects I'm going to mention here about his justice. We see God's justice and that his his, his wrath is now being revealed now at this time against all unrighteousness on this earth. And we can't really comprehend what that means because God doesn't tell us how he's executing wrath at this time, but he does do it in different ways in different times. He is doing that. The second point is this, is God's justice, we'll see his justice in a most dramatic way at the end of this age during what is called the day of the Lord when he'll pour out his wrath upon the wicked people of the world. This is Revelation 8, 9, and 16. And finally, God's justice will be seen at the end of the millennial kingdom, that thousand-year period of time. This is, this is uh, Revelation 20, 11 to 15, when he will punish all evil spirits, that means the devil, the demons, and all unbelievers. For there at that time, it says very clearly, they will all then be cast into the lake of fire. It says this in Matthew 25, 41 and 46. It says, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire. These will go away into eternal punishment. For people who say there's no hell, Jesus says there is right here. It's eternal fire, 
and it's eternal punishment, the two best phrases to sum up what it really is. Next, God is powerful. Psalm 77, 14. You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. Exodus 15. Your right hand, O God, is majestic in power. Your right hand shatters the enemy. The power of God is his ability and strength to do all that he pleases. He do all his plans and purposes with all that his wisdom directs. And God's power is great. It's, it's infinite. It's, it's that which is never diminished or lessened at all. You think of it, this is a Maybe a simple example. If you have a battery, a battery can give out so much power. What happens to the battery if you don't charge it up? It just doesn't have any more power. It runs out. You all, you all know that. You've seen this. You've experienced it with the things you own and have. God's power is never diminished, ever, ever, ever. He gives out his power all the time, but it's never, ever diminished or lessened. God has the power to create. He has the power to do miracles. He has the power to fulfill his purposes, and he has the power to defeat his enemies. And most important of all, he has the power over sin and death. In fact, it says in the Bible, the last enemy to be defeated is death. He has the power over that. We believe that Christ died and paid for our sins then and rose again from the dead. Then God then has the power for all those who believe in him, who believe in Christ, has the power then to defeat sin and death in their own lives and then enable them to live purposeful lives on this earth. Next point here is God gives power to whomever whomever he wills. The devil has power, and God is the one who allows him to have that. The, 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 The demons have power. God is the one who's sovereign over that, and God gives people power. If you have any bit of power, strength, I'm talking spiritual, physical, any at all, it's because God gives it to you. And God gives power to you to be holy. Sometimes you think, man, I'm, I'm hurting, I'm fighting this sin or this problem. God gives you all the power you need to be an overcomer, to be victorious over any sin or any situation or any problem or any conflict. God gives you all the power you need. It says this in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That that sums it up as good as any verse. I can do all, meaning I can do all that God wants me to do through him, through Christ, who strengthens me. This verse, this is Isaiah 40, 29. God gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. If you ever feel like you're weary, you're tired, all of us feel weary and tired at times. I know what I'm like. I know what people are like. I know what you're like. You go to God. I love it. He, He will give it freely. You know, we, we pay money for so many things in this life, and I'm not saying you shouldn't pay, you should pay money, you shouldn't just take things. You pay money for things, but God will give you the power that you need to live for him. That is, that is the truth. And this one here, in the future, Christ by his power will glorify your bodies. It says in Philippians 3, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity to the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has to subject all things to himself. It's by the power of God power of Christ, that we will then be given brand new glorified bodies. Next, God is wise. Daniel 2.20, wisdom and power belong to God. Romans 11, 33 and 34, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. When, it, when we say that God is wise, it means he has all knowledge about all people, all events, and all things past, present, and future. But he also knows why and how and when to use that knowledge, and with whom to use that knowledge. God has all knowledge. He, all that he does relates to his knowledge, his wisdom. Nothing is done, in, 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 nothing that God does is apart from his wisdom and knowledge. And of course, 
God uses wisdom for his purposes and for his glory. Everything God does then is in according to his perfect and infinite wisdom. Because God is perfectly wise, that means he never, ever makes a mistake. Ever. Sometimes things happen, and in your mind, you may not say, God, you made a mistake, but you might be sort of thinking that in the back of your mind. God, I, I don't think you did a good job. Or you just be questioning. God never makes a mistake with you, with your family, with his church, with this world, with all that he is doing. Because God is holy then, uh, because God is perfectly wise then, he always does what is good and right and true. God's wisdom then is seen in Christ. It says in Colossians 2.3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's in Christ. All the treasures of true wisdom and knowledge are in Christ. Wisdom is seen in his purposes, and of course it's seen in our salvation, which is a story of itself, how God shows his wisdom because of how he saved us. Finally, God gives wisdom to us, to his children, so that we can be wise. I mean, if you have a a person, a Christian, who's not very wise, well, he's not looking to God who is wise. God wants to give us wisdom so we can be wise and holy and obedient, so we can be good. Turn to Proverbs uh, 2. talks about this here. Many passages. In fact, one of the the primary themes of the book of, of Proverbs. In fact, let's go to verse, chapter 1, verse 7. Theme of the book of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. What Proverbs is all about is God giving us wisdom and knowledge and instruction. He wants us to be spiritually smart, if I can say it that way. Go to chapter 2. It talks about how this happens. It's just a good thing because if you want to be wise, these verses are very, very much applicable to your life. And we should all want to be wise. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you'll discern the fear of the Lord, discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, comes knowledge and understanding. So you're you're attentive to God and you're attentive to his word. And I would suggest this practically that if that all of you, all of you here, and I would say particularly young people, because this is written to a young man, read Proverbs, read Proverbs. It's, so, it's, it's 31 chapters, so it's sort of appropriate. We have sometimes 31 days in a month, so just read a proverb every day, and God will then by his grace and give you wisdom. Next, God is good. Psalm 1968, you are good, and what you do is good. God's nature is one of goodness and of perfect and infinite goodness. You sometimes think, well, God's not very good. It's not true. God is always perfectly good with you. He's infinitely good with you. Goodness means that God wants to bless people, that he wants to bestow his benefits on people. That's what he desires to do. God's goodness is seen in his creation. Genesis 1.31, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And God's goodness is seen that he gives us gives us good things. We can take a whole message on this point right here. He gives us good things. He gives us friends. He gives us a family. He gives us a spouse. He gives us children. He gives food. I mean, you think about all the good food you have, right? You all have plenty of food in your house, your pantry, your refrigerator. You've got plenty. All of you do. You're Americans. You've got plenty of food. And it's good food. Man, all the different varieties of food. It's amazing. Good food. Colors. Just think of everything that was black and white. I mean, we've got colors here, right? It's beautiful. Colors. Blue skies, green grass, 
and your body, you got hair. You look good because you got hair on you today. And eyelids, you know, eyelids are very practical. You, eyelids are helpful, and not just to make you look good, but because it sort of shields different things and protects your eyes. So, I mean, I'm just, just, just a few things I'm mentioning, but boy, the goodness of God that's seen in creation, and we're so thankful for this. It says, says James 1:17. every good and perfect gift is from the Father of the heavenly lights. But most importantly, we see God's goodness in our salvation. Everything really goes back to our salvation, and that God then has forgiven us. He's given us a brand new life. He's made us his children. He's justified us, and we have then, uh, we're his children. And God has good plans for our lives. It says in in Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ to do good works. So you think about your life right now, this day, December 5th, 2021. God has good plans for you this week. Good plans. Good plans for your life. That's what he has for you. He works all things together for good. That Romans 8.28 verse. Things may be difficult. All of you, I'm sure, at this time have some things in your life a little bit difficult, maybe a lot difficult. God has the ability to work it all together for good. We oftentimes think of the immediate. We don't see that God works over time. We need to be patient. We need to wait on God, see, hey, this is all going to work out. I'm a believer. God's working with me, and things might be difficult, but God works it all together for good. And Jesus is the good shepherd, shepherd, right? And he shepherds your life, and he's a good shepherd. And someday we will see, be in heaven and see and experience his goodness like never, ever before. I mean, amazing. I think of Vicki Phelps. She's in heaven now, been there about a little over 100 hours since last Wednesday morning at 5.30. She's seen his goodness like never, ever before. There's no spiritual fog, no sin to doubt, to, to dim her, anything. And all believers in heaven, then, this is what happens. These verses, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Psalm 31, how great is thy goodness which thou hast stored up for thee. Psalm 100 says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Um, indeed, God is one who is good. God is loving. The Lord is good, and his love endures forever. Psalm 100, verse 5. The way, main way, again, that God shows his love for us is through our salvation. He chose us to be saved way, way back in eternity past. He adopted us into his family. He redeems us, which means he's delivered us from the devil and from sin and death. He justifies us, which means he makes us righteous in his sight. He forgives us, which means all our sins are sent away. And again, he gives us eternal life, that relationship with him that lasts forever and ever. God shows his love by being kind. That is, there's like a, like a multifaceted diamond. There are different facets of God's love. God shows his love in that he's, he's kind to us. He's patient with us. He forgives us. He's compassionate. And he's always protecting us. And he's placed us, I believe, in a loving church family, and he's given us loving friends. That is, sometimes you see the love of God through other people. In fact, oftentimes you do. In fact, sometimes you might think, well, God don't love me. Well, think of the people God puts in your life that love you, because that's one of the main ways that God shows his love for you. God's love is necessary for our spiritual health and for our spiritual growth. You have to have it. We talk about certain foods you need to survive as a person, physical foods. You need the love of God. You have to have the love of God. God wants to be filled up with his love, then he'll be satisfied. You've heard of that little phrase, you're seeking love in the wrong places. All of us have done this at times in our life where we try to see his love in different places or different ways, and it just doesn't work. And I think all of you, 
If you've been around a little while, no, yep, that didn't work. I thought I should try that or do this. It don't work. The love of God is seen from God himself. Different verses on God's love. It says in Psalm 48.9, it says when you're in the temple or when you're with the Lord, you need to think or meditate on his love. It's important to take time just to think about it. This verse, Psalm 63.3, great verse, sums up a lot of things for us. It says your love is better than life. Your love is better than any anything in this world, in this life. Psalm 86.12, great is your love towards me because you've delivered my soul from the depths of the grave. Psalm 90.14, satisfy me in the morning with your unfailing love that I might sing for joy, be glad all my days. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jude 21, very important, keep yourself in the love of God, which just means do what you need to do so that you're loved. So for me, I've, just, I've said this before, I'll say it again, every morning, I mean every morning, I might miss one in, in 100 days, but every morning I go to the back porch, I got my nice little rocking chair back there, and it's comfortable, the ebony, the cat might be sitting there, you know, the birds are singing, the squirrels are out there, you know, and the, lately the weather's been really nice to sit outside. I love it. I just sit there and read. I have my little reading routine that I read, and I just am encouraged. I'm encouraged. I'm getting satisfied in the morning by his unfailing love. That's the main thing. I will tell you, the single one thing I've done in all my life as a Christian, that's number one. That's it. And I would encourage you all to do that. Whether you've got five minutes or ten minutes or 30 minutes or an hour, you need that time. And I think morning times are good times to do that. Next, God's forgiving. Forgiving. Everyone who believes in Christ, this is Acts 10.43, uh, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. All people... All people are sinners and deserve to be punished for their sins. But you know the story. Because God loved us, he sent his son down to this earth to die for us, to pay for our sins, making it possible then for God to forgive us. That is, God sees Christ died for that person, that person that he chose anyway, and they then are forgiven. He can forgive them. And when a person then believes in Christ and, 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 and turns from his sins and believes in Christ, then he is one who is fully and freely and forever forgiven of a sin. This is, this is so important. And God forgives us of big sins, little sins. He forgives us of sins we know about and sins we don't know about. And I would suggest to you that you sin in a lot of ways, a lot more ways you sin that you don't know about than you do know about. Just tons. talks about this in Psalm 19, hidden sins. Also then God has forgiven the sins you've committed before you were saved and the sins you've committed after you were saved. So it's important to remember that, these things here. And experience is, uh, God's forgiveness is necessary for our spiritual growth. That's foundational. Again, I'm going to talk about this a little bit during our communion time. If you're not growing properly as a Christian, you might want to think about, well, is my not comprehending the forgiveness of God in my own life on a practical, experiential, regular way, daily way, that might be the reason, okay, right there. So it's so important. Results then in God getting the glory. That's Psalm 32, Psalm 51, both talk really pretty much exclusively about our sin and forgiveness. But it says this, the last verse of Psalm 32, Be glad in the Lord, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart, that is, are forgiven of your sins. Very important. Your gladness and your joy. You see a believer who's not very glad or not very joyful, it could very well relate to the fact he doesn't see that he's forgiven. Rejoice in the Lord, you who are righteous. Next, God is faithful, 1 Corinthians 1, 9. God who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, is faithful. 
We say faithful will mean that God is trustworthy, he is reliable, he's dependable, he's, 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 he's consistent, and he, he, he keeps his word. He's true to his word. He's true to his character. God is faithful to fulfill his promises, and there's many promises in the Bible. Faithful to fulfill all the purposes, whether it's the purpose for this whole world or the purpose for your life. He's faithful to fulfill it. He's faithful to fulfill his prophetic word. He's prophesied many things about the future. He's going to bring it all to pass. God's faithfulness relates to his character. Because God is faithful, that means he's always Every second, every nanosecond, he's always wise, always good, always loving, always holy, always protecting, always with you. Always, always, always. Because God is faithful, he'll never give up on you. He'll never. You might give up on yourself. He won't give up on you. He'll enable you to make it to heaven. That's what he'll make it, enable you to get through life. First of all, then he'll get you to heaven. That's what will happen says in first um what does it says first thess five faithful is he who calls you and he will bring it to pass says in psalm 92 it is good to give thanks to the lord to declare your loving kindness in the morning your faithfulness by night i've talked to you about this before about it nighttime's a good time to look back and to see how god's come through for you and at nighttime that's when you see god's faithfulness to you through the day you want to see god's faithfulness you have to take the time nighttime's are good times Weekend times are good times to think back what God has done for you. This one here, Isaiah 42, see there, I think three or four, says he will faithfully bring, bring, uh, bring justice to the nations. And that's talking about the big picture. He's faithful with you individually. He's faithful with your family. And he's going to be faithful to bring about his purposes for this entire world. Faithfulness is so, so important. Faithfulness, and again, relates to really his other character qualities. It's a character quality that relates to all he is and all that he does. Next, and finally, God is sovereign, Ephesians 1.11. In him we are also chosen, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. And that phrase, all things, means all things. All things. All things in your life, all things in your family, all things in this church, all things in this world. I mean, he's, he's one smart God. He knows what he's doing, powerful, and he's sovereign, we say God is sovereign, we mean he's always in charge, always in control, that he always reigns. Jerry Bridges says this, he defines God's sovereignty this way. It is. His sovereignty is his constant care for and his absolute rule over all his creation for his own glory and for the good of his people. That's a good definition. Sovereignty relates to your life. God's sovereign over creation, over the weather, over all calamities and disasters. There have been a few calamities this year, hurricanes, wars. God is sovereign over them all, which means he could have stopped them. But sometimes we don't like to hear that because that's really hard for us to understand how bad things happen. That phrase, you've heard that, maybe heard that question, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? It's a tough one. It's a tough question, and I'm not going to answer it all here, but it relates to God is sovereign, and he works all things together for good, and you have to see the big picture. You have to see the big picture. God is sovereign over all the events of your life, over your birth, over your death, over your job, over all your trials, over all your relationships, over your spiritual growth. God is sovereign over it all. God is sovereign over the death and resurrection of his son. Turn to Acts 2, 27, 27, 28. 
No, it's not that. It's 23 and 24. Acts 2, 23. 2.23. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Turn to chapter 4. Verse 20, here's 27 and 28. It says, Truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. These evil people, Herod and Pilate and others who killed Jesus back there in that first century, nailed him to the cross, God predestined it. It's all planned out. It was his purposes. God uses evil people to fulfill his purposes. Always remember that. God's in charge, and he used them. And we've seen it time and time again, and many stories on that from the Bible. God is sovereign over your salvation, salvation of all people who get saved. God is sovereign over every single thing and being in heaven and earth. One of my favorite verses, Daniel 4.35. Some of these things might be reviewed, but let me tell you something. I like what Peter says in his epistle about we can forget and we need to be reminded of the truth. Daniel 4, verses, verse 35. Well, start in verse 34. Nebuchadnezzar had just been humbled greatly so, and um, God showed Nebuchadnezzar that Nebuchadnezzar was a great king, and he thought he was a great king, but he was a little too much filled up with himself. At the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth, and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? You can't question God. Well, you can. You shouldn't. You just, I mean, one hand, you're, on one hand, you're a little nobody compared to God, okay? And I'm not saying you're not a believer or a Christian in God. I'm not, but I'm just saying perspective-wise, you guys see God as God, and you're just a human being on this earth. One little person, and God's going to do what he do, wants to do, and he does do what he wants to do. So he's sovereign over everything. One of, you know, when you read the Old Testament, this is one thing I do when I read the Old Testament, it's particularly the historical books. Uh, you read about how God is sovereign. One of my favorite, I read this a few weeks ago, Second Chronicles 10, 15. In fact, in fact, I'm going to preface what I'm going to say here by this here, is all that's happened with, with, with Vicki, her life, and, and what's happened the last few weeks, and we knew that her life was ebbing away. This verse is the main one. Second Chronicles 10, 15 says, This turn of events is from the Lord. You all have turn of events. You all have things that happen, events, situations. This turn of events is from the Lord. So, okay, okay, God, I take it. I, I will submit to that. Because, again, we don't like everything, but we have to submit to God's plans. This turn of events is from the Lord. The fact that God is sovereign is humbling. It humbled Nebuchadnezzar here. God's sovereignty will humble you. It is also that which is comforting. And most importantly, it is that which is God-glorifying if we thought that God wasn't in charge, and some people are like this, we'd be very worried and very anxious. Just, see, just, just think if, if you thought, man, I, I, I've got to be in charge of my life. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be disciplined and have self-control and think about and plan. I'm not saying that at all. But if we thought that ultimately we were in charge of our life, we'd, get, we'd go crazy. 
And some people sort of do. We, we have to see God's in charge. He's in charge. He knows what he's doing. I can trust him in all these things. So, so important. So as Christians, we're responsible to work out our salvation. This is Philippians 2, 12 and 13. It says, you work out your salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that God is at work in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. So you have, you have both aspects. We do what we're supposed to do. Every day you get up and you plan your way. Psalm Proverbs 69, man plans his way, the Lord directs his step. That's how you should live. I'm going to plan my way today. I'm going to pray about it and plan and, and do things I believe God wants me to do, and you do it, and then sometimes God changes things. And it's a very important verse to, to keep in mind because life does change quite a bit. Man plans his way, but the Lord directs his step. So God's responsible, we're responsible, but ultimately he's responsible. Always remember God's role, his responsibility, and his authority over life. He is sovereign again over your life. And the older you get, and then look back properly, the more you'll see God's sovereignty. And I can't help but think that all of you here would think of different stories in your life. And I can, I'm not going to take time now, but think back over my life of 68 years. Wow, God was sovereign. God was sovereign. God was sovereign. It's a wonderful thing to do. It's, a, it's the most encouraging thing to do with the right perspective of God. It'll, it'll fill your heart with gratitude and thankfulness and more faith in God as you see that God is truly sovereign in your life and with you. Wayne Gruden says this, exactly how God combines his providential control with our willing and significant choices, Scripture does not explain to us. If you're trying to figure out how God works with your, your some say free will, your role, how you do things with his sovereignty, he doesn't tell you, but it's true. Well, we've briefly, briefly talked about God's character as Christians. We can only grow properly and be all that God wants if we know God and, let me also say, grow in our knowledge of him. It's important that we don't have a shallow or incorrect, two important words. Shallow means you're not very deep with God. Oh, yeah, God loves me and he's forgiving, but you don't have the depth of understanding he wants you to have a shallow or incorrect. It's got to be correct. You want a deep and correct view of God. Second Peter, it's interesting how Peter starts his, this epistle and finishes it, and it's instructive because it means you know what was on Peter's mind. In verse, verse 2, Second Peter 1, 2 says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Christ Jesus our Lord. That is, your, the grace and peace God wants to give you relates to understanding who he is. It really does. It's so important. But the last verse, look at the last verse. Second Peter 3, 18. Grow, it's a command, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. So the command, grow in the knowledge of God. So you're sitting here today. This is what God wants for you. There's a, there's a sometimes there's, I don't know if it's this big turning point or, or, or small, but it was back in 19, it was 94, and I was at a conference, and the speaker was, was he said, just pray that God, and the way he said it was, this, God enlarges your view of him. And over the next, I prayed that, and over the next few years, it really started happening. I, I just started learning things I hadn't learned about God's character much before. So that's, that's the thing. I want to I finish this by saying, you ask God to reveal himself to you in new ways and in greater ways. Both are important, new ways and greater ways. Ask God to reveal himself to you through his word, through other people, and through life experiences. Then you'll grow 
in your relationship with God, and you will, you will be able to do the thing that God wants. You'll obey Him more, you'll trust Him more, and you will please Him more, and you then will be a very joyful and blessed Christian. Again, the joy and blessing that God wants you to experience relates directly to you knowing Him. Just two verses to finish. First one is Philippians 3.10. It's just a phrase, I believe it's out of the NIV. Paul was praying. He says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. Might that little prayer be your prayer? You can all memorize it right now. I want to know Christ. Do you really want to know Christ? Is that what you want? Or you want something else? As you think about your day, you'll find out what you want. Oftentimes your desires aren't what God wants for you. I want to know Christ more than any single thing in this world. That's what I want. That should be your prayer. The second thing is a prayer, Ephesians chapter 1. It's a great little prayer, and you can pray for yourself, but I would also suggest that you pray for others. Again, when I say that, I mean for those that are close to you, whether it's your spouse, whether it's a family member, whether it's the people in the church, whether it's myself, Bruce, Steve, pray for us here. It says here, very important, for this reason, I too, having heard, verse 15, heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him. So what's he praying? It's real simple. You pray for others. God, help that person to get to know you better. That's all it's saying. Help that person to grow in an experiential knowledge and relationship with you. That's it. This is one of the most important prayers right here. I mean, I don't say it's the top one, but it's right in the top three or four right here. Pray for others that they get to know him. So, so important. So with that, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We bless you for giving us your word. We have just done a really, really quick summary of of these truths here about you but i would pray lord you'd help us to not be ones who have either a shallow or incorrect view of you uh, lord every one of us here um, we can get to know you better and that's one of the purposes of of your of, of for our, our lives is throughout our entire lives from beginning to end you want us to grow in our knowledge of you and the things that happen the things that take place in our trials and and reading the Word of God and relationships all relates to this. And because this is what we need. We need this relationship with you where we know you. And so, God, but you've got to reveal yourself to us as it says there in, in Ephesians 1. Now, it's not just a it's mental thing. It's not just mechanical. It's spiritual. And so, God, through your Holy Spirit, through your Word, we ask you for each one here, for each one who's listening on, for each one who could not make it to be with us on this Sunday, we pray. God, that you reveal yourself to us. But thank you so much for this church as lead us and guide us for your purposes and glory. We do pray for Steve uh, losing his wife this past week. God, you give him your comfort, your grace, and peace. Others who are ailing, not feeling good, pray for Jean. You continue to help her to get better, Lord, and stabilized. And, and just thank you for each one here. Again, thank you for what you're doing in our lives in this church. And just lead us and guide us and protect us, too, because we are in a spiritual war a battle, and we don't see it. It's an invisible. It's the toughest war there is because we can't see it. But, Lord, we can be strong in you. It says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. But thank you again for this time. Thank you for our communion time and our, 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 our time of fellowship, our Matthew meal as well. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.